Um, Elul. We're in the month of Elul, and it's a beautiful day, and we opened the windows. So if anybody gets cold, we'll close the windows, okay? Uh, but for now, the windows are open. And uh, I want to do a little teaching to start, and then hopefully that will also prime us for what is the work of Elul in the Jewish tradition, which is... Um, Earl, we've met before, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember you now. Mm. <laughs> I know, but I, your face. Yeah, I have a lot of friends there. Um, so a little teaching, and then some of our own Elul processing. Uh, here's what I wrote to describe this class. Setting our course for the new year an Elul class and support group. Uh, and hopefully our whole, our whole synagogue community is an ongoing support group in that way, helping us be the best people we can be. Here's what I wrote. The world needs us right now, as focused and clear as we can be. It is all too easy to be overwhelmed by the flood of frightening developments that are besetting our nation and our world. I will convene a class this month in which we will support one another to envision and to focus on specific goals and actions that speak to each of us most strongly so that we bring clear commitments into the new year. So that's, that's our goal for the next few weeks, is to support each other in that way. So um, I want to share a teaching about what it means to be in the world uh, and how broadly that our tradition defines that. I was chatting with uh, Marka about this and realized, oh yes, I want to share with Esther, welcome back. When did you get back? Um, Friday. Um, Esther's daughter-in-law passed away in California oh, and she's been out there, so uh, welcome. And I was thinking about the Hebrew word for world. What is it? Olam. Olam. It's one of the words, if you know a blessing, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Or universe, yes. right? So when we speak of the world, we speak of the Olam. When we speak of the universe, we speak of Olam. Because um, <clears throat> I think, you know, Speaking of the, when we say in the, in the whole world, we mean anywhere, right? So the word olam means world or universe. But it also means, when you say, um, uh, blessed is the name of God, what does that mean? Forever and ever. So think about it for a minute. Olam means the physical universe, and olam, lo olam, also means all time. So olam refers in Hebrew to time and space. The how, how about uh, when uh, the entire world is a narrow bridge, says Reb Nachman. 
Uh, but the point I want to make, Bob, is that olam doesn't just refer to physical space. It also refers to eternity. So in other words, olam means the time-space continuum. It's a really big word. So when we say, Baruch and it gets translated, remember it got translated, Blessed art thou, Lord our God, ruler of the universe. Um, it, uh, that translation is so, um, it's fine, but it's so corporeal. It's so, you know, uh, when I might translate it as, Baruch Adonai, blessed art thou, yod he as in, is, was, will be, or life unfolding, or melech ha'olam, sovereign of time and all time and space. In other words, we're speaking to infinity, the infinite olam, and the, and the mysterious source of it all. It's a, so whenever you say a blessing, <coughs> If you want to remember that, it will expand our consciousness every time, which is what that was intended for. Uh, now, there's another interesting thing, which is the word ne'elam, which has the same root, ayin, lam, and mem. If something is ne'elam, anybody? Disappearing. Hidden, disappeared, right. Something is ne'elam, is hidden, unseen, disappeared. So, in the word olam is everything that we know and everything that we can't know. Uh, and so when we talk about what, we want, what the work we want to do in the olam is in Hebrew this coming year, I just want to say we have a lot of leeway. <laughs> okay? And which gets me to the next piece of this little teaching, which is that there is a term in Hebrew that many of us are familiar with called tikkun olam, which, what does it translate as? Repairing. Repairing the world, right? And what does tikkun olam mean in contemporary Jewish parlance? In, when, when you say, I'm doing tikkun olam work, what does that generally refer to? Social justice. Social justice. In other words, work in the world, repairing the world. But, when that term first, uh, I mean, we have that phrase, l'taken olam, in the Aleinu. So the phrase, to repair the world, uh, has been around for a long time. The Aleinu prayer is from the early centuries. It's one of the older prayers in the, uh, in the prayer book. It's from 2,000 years ago. But it, that phraseology never gets picked up much by classical rabbinic literature. We really start hearing about tikkun olam, in the 16th century, where Rabbi Isaac Luria, who was a, a, um, a, a, a transformative mystical and spiritual leader of Judaism in the 16th century, in Tzfat, northern Israel, gathers a circle around him. And uh, this circle, uh, and he helps, he, he teaches them what are called tikkunim in Jewish mysticism. Tikkun means to repair. Tikkunim, acts of repair. Um, and they do not involve going to demonstrations or uh, lobbying for um, legislation. They have nothing to do with it. 
uh, these tikkunim are spiritual and very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, they're esoteric, for sure. And um, they're all about repairing the broken world, the olam, that is the cosmos in Lurianic Kabbalah. Uh, the Lurianic, the followers of Isaac Luria engaged in complicated and powerful exercises to visualize repairing um, a shattered universe that lives in a mythic and cosmic realm. All of their, all of their work was inner work, right? Um, because if in the Lurianic story, a, um, the divine light, the source of all light, the Ein Sof, the infinite, pours divine light, animating light, into this, cre- into this container called the universe that, that God has created. And the light is so powerful that it shatters the vessel. And the universe is shattered. And uh, the sparks of divine light have become hidden and encrusted and encased in the husks of darkness that surround them. So Luria had this idea of the universe essentially being an exiled, broken place, and that human beings had a big job to do, which was through the performance of mitzvot, of commandments, with the right inner intention to repair the universe. If through these mystical, inner, intense, focused actions, that energy could be restored. In other words, the hidden spark could be liberated from its husk and rejoin the divine light. Then if we did that right, the Messiah would come. There would be an age of where the universe would be repaired and this physical, this experience we all have of living in a bifurcated world, in a world of light and dark, of suffering. You know, we all ask this question, why is it like this? And the Lurianic answer was was this essentially creation myth about how human beings, especially uh, Luria and his followers, using the tools of Judaism, the mitzvot, could, with proper intention, actually restore the light to its wholeness. And the universe would be repaired. Um, That's beautiful, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful. Um, A couple hundred years later, when the Baal Shem Tov founded the Hasidic movement, he radically simplified Luria's idea of what tikkun olam meant, repairing the universe. Because for Luria and his followers, it was only a, um, the only people who could do this were an, uh, a, an elite who could actually master this intensely complex and spiritually demanding uh, exercise. And the Baal Shem Tov, this became part of Jewish parlance, that we could do tikkunim, we could repair the universe. And the Baal Shem Tov wanted it to be for everybody, 
to make a long story very simple, oversimplified, and said, no, every Jew can liberate divine sparks. You don't have to be a spiritual master in order to do this. Uh, you have, how do you liberate sparks? By the fulfillment of commandments, of mitzvah. Anyone can do it. Um, whether it's acts of kindness or lighting the Shabbos candles or each of those acts, if done by someone with a, you know, with, with a heart to do it. You know, going through the motions, especially in a revival movement like Hasidism was in its origins, uh, was not the point. The point was to awaken the divine light, to liberate the sparks, to... Uh, and so, still, this idea was that through our actions, we could repair the olam. Did you have your hand up? Yeah. Yes. Well, I, but when you said that the reason that the uh, vessel had, had broken is because... Uh, did God do that? Words, this is what's great about this story. Like, this story is a story trying to explain why the world feels so broken. And so they tell a story that, in fact, yes, there's a flaw in the original plan. That the divine light didn't... Now, remember, God is... I, I'll, use, I'll call it the divine light. The divine creative light didn't know that it was too powerful to be fully manifested here in this world that God created. God poured, so yes, it was a mistake, as it were. But can't God repair the mistake? <laughs> uh, not, not, not without people. And that is consistent throughout Judaism. God creates human beings in the Torah in order to manifest God's commandments, God's, God's mitzvot. mitzvot, right? And so, no, in the Jewish understanding, God without people is like a person without a relationship. It's like, so new? I'll sit in the dark, you know? It's like, there's nothing happening. So God needs us as much as we need God in, in the Jewish story of what we're doing here on the planet. God, the creator, needs us to repair the world. Uh, God can't just do it. Uh, Bob? When we say tikkun leil shubuot, how does that fit in? So, the word tikkun gets used uh, as a time of repairing um, for the tikkun leil shubuot the, the Isaac Luria and his circle created nights of vigil that were extremely powerful. They felt that if you spent the whole night on Shavuot, the festival when we mark the Torah being revealed, in the right kind of meditative um, and studious uh, uh, activity, you could hasten the repair. Right? So they created intense rituals. These guys were intense. Right? If you, you, you can't, the, the Isaac Luria and his circle were intense. They were ascetic. They were married, but uh, they would uh, go to bed 
uh, early and wake up at midnight because the middle of the night was the, the time when the heavens were most open and any of us who've wandered around at two in the morning in the right state of mind know that all the lights have stopped and all the sounds have stopped and it's just a potent time. Like yogis. Like yogis. Yeah. Like the, the middle of the night is, for a spiritual um, uh, adepts, a very powerful time. That's what these guys were. And so they would have all night, they'd have all nighters where they engaged in prayer and study and visualizations. And um, really, they, they were a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I'm searching for the word. Ordinary folks weren't doing what they were doing. They were adepts. They were adepts. They were a, they were a, a sort of almost not a secret society, but a, it, it, so it, to understand how intense they were, we'd have to put ourselves in different shoes than a, us as householders. It was the Baal Shem Tov who said, no, 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 no. Even Amcha, even your irregular wagon pullers and milk people and, uh, you know, can, can do this too. And I'm going to show you that it's possible through the fervor of your heart. But the Lurianic Kabbalists, theirs was also an intense intellectual exercise. I hope that clar helps clarify. So they created tikkun times of repair associated with different holy days when they felt it was most auspicious, when the heavens were most receptive, when the most work could be done. And they were anticipating, in Luria's circle, the coming of the Messiah. They thought they were making it happen. Right. Um, but what they gave us, and what I, where I'm heading with this, is this idea that we can repair the world. Right. In the 19th century, with the advent of science, materialism, capitalism, progress, all the stuff we know about from the Industrial Revolution, that kind of mystical stuff was considered to be superstitious bunk. Right? And it got marginalized. It got completely sidelined. The only places in the Jewish world where it stayed alive were, in, were with small circles of capitalists and in the Hasidic world. That's the only place where it was preserved. The Judaism that most of us grew up with, if we grew up in Jewish denominations, were based on ethics, rational you know, progress. The mar the 20 we grew up with the March of Progress, right? which was entirely a materialistic enterprise. Modernity is how, through science and through technology and through rational policy, we can make the world, we can perfect the world. And I'm not dissing that, by the way. I just want to point out to you how, how different that is. And so, yes, Leah? You bring a perfected world. Who will bring about. I don't know what they, everybody had a different idea about what Messiah went. Right. You know, was it a supernatural being? Was it a, so it's not necessarily a savior right. in Jewish thinking. It, it's, so, it's just, but where something, you're going you're gonna to make the connection and the other end of the line is going to finally respond, mm -hmm. you know. step-by-step 
say, the social change model, that that makes these little repairs that somehow weave together the holes. I mean, it's not a kaboom, it's more like a transformation. Right, the modern idea rejects the idea of a supernatural messiah and says that it's through our actions that we will attain a messianic era, an era of peace and harmony and justice. However, the two are the same in that the Messiah wasn't going to come unless we were doing our part, right? So uh, there was nothing passive about Luria and his circle waiting for the Messiah. They were trying to bring the Messiah. Which, and I'll get to my, my point in, in, in a couple of minutes. In the, in the 20th century, recently, I'd say in the 60s, Tikkun Olam took on a new resonance. It became a phrase in the American liberal movements, especially starting in the reform movement, for that a, a, a social gospel, really, a, that we can repair the world and that that's our job as Jews. Now, that's an authentic Jewish expression, right? There was an op-ed recently, a few days ago, uh, by somebody talking about how Tikkun Olam in, in its liberal manifestation was, was a, um, was a uh, perversion of real Judaism. It's like, I don't buy it at all. That doesn't, it's, it's yet another way that Jewish themes have gotten expressed. But it depends on, and this is where I want, what I wanted to make that whole introduction to, of what you think the world is, of what your conceptual universe is. If you are a 16th century mystic, then where the action is, is in the realms of esoteric, um, uh, unseen. It's not the physical world. The physical world is here, but that's not where the action is. For them, the olam, the universe, was, spe was more specifically a, um, I would say, spiritualized celestial. realm, a celestial realm. In the modern era, which rejected that as superstition, the universe is our physical known universe. That's where we are trying to repair. So if I can just reiterate that point, Diane. The work you do depends on what you think the universe is. Do you follow what I'm saying? And I want to add to that, that what if we embraced, as I'm going to talk about in a little while, the Jewish mystical idea that there's more than one world, and said, why does it have to be a zero-sum game? Why does this have to be either or? In other words, can we move beyond science versus religion? Can we move beyond these bifurcations into some kind of uh, thesis, antithesis, into our new synthesis where we embrace it all? That the universe, seen and unseen, is much vaster than any of us know. It encompasses both ethereal conceptual and physical realms. It, and maybe we can expand what we mean when we say tikkun olam to embrace a yes and 
which would be for me the humble response to recognizing recognizing the limitations of modernity in terms of its gross determined materialism do you know what i'm saying you don't have to then reject politics science materialism culture in order to now go back to the esoteric and say no this is where it's really happening which is our tendency because we all want to be true believers Right, and so we got to know what we're talking about here, as opposed to what everyone else. But I'm so, you know, I'm so done with that. Right. It's like all I know is I'm in an infinite universe that seems to function on multiple levels. That's what I know. So now, how do I apply myself to every possible realm? So, Diane. want to meditate and improve themselves, I truly believe that's the way. I mean, we don't have to go back to Luria. This, yeah. Both of these exist in our world today. Well, Plenty of people who want to, you know, just meditate and improve their selves and work on their spirituality, and mm -hmm. then there are others who are writing letters to the editor and marching. Yeah. And I want to say... And we can be both. I want to say good. Yeah. Right? I want to say good to all of it if a person is functioning with a integrity and a desire to make things better. Right? Because we don't know. Maybe the meditators are the ones holding things together right now. We don't even know. We'll know by and by. And then we'll go, oh boy, was I wrong about that, you know. <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, I just want to say yes and. Yes, and. And then, did you want to add something, Marka? Yeah, I just wanted to say, I think part of the reason the esoteric stuff got marginalized is because of Crowley. And that's so... Crowley? Yeah. Say who he was. People won't know. I can't quite remember. Can you speak a little louder? Yeah, there was a man named Alexander Crowley. I'm sorry, I don't have the dates. But what's really fascinating is the way the sort of a more occult knowledge of Kabbalah has been siphoned off, separated. And now if you're looking for people who are adepts these days, like who's chanting, um, who's doing the really intense visualizations from Safir Yetzirah, for instance, online yeah. and showing it, it's not Hasidic, it's not whatever, it's like young, punky men who are following an occult tradition. It's really gotten subsumed by that. It's very interesting. It's that. very interesting. And I want to see if I can put that in a larger context, yeah, Marka, which is that when spirituality in Western culture got marginalized, it reemerged in England, especially as occult practices in the late 19th century. Our tarot cards, uh, so much of what we do come from that, that sort of risk. The, the spiritual impulse in us, speaking as someone who fully accepts that there's more than just a material level of reality, will not be suppressed forever. Where we saw its re-ignition um, is in the 60s, right? When people started taking psychedelics. And we've talked about this before. And all of a sudden, people started being spiritual seekers, and it was something you started hearing about. That's the beginning of post-modernity, in a way, um, Diane. Um, we have lived this era of um, a spiritual reawakening, 
that had been marginalized, debased, scoffed at for a long time, right? During the, mod during the emergence of the powerhouse of modern scientific culture. Um, and again, I'm proposing that maybe those folks, all of us who embraced scientism as an ideology, also threw the baby out with the bathwater when that happened. Hold on a minute, Susan. So we're in a position to say, when we want to set our course for the new year in terms of how we want to work on tikkun olam, repairing our universe, we have a lot of spaciousness. And that's one of the things that's important to me about our community, is that the people for whose primary passion is the realms of self-improvement or of spiritual understanding, we can validate that as absolutely com comparable in what, what God wants from us, as those of us who are passionately determined to register voters this fall. Right? Because I've thought a lot about this. Because I'm so panicked myself about the country, um, uh, part of me wants to get everybody to get on like, let's do this. But as a rabbi, that's the kiss of death. Right? <laughs> right? For me to say, that turns us into a political organization or an ethnic club. And that's not what we're doing here. We're here to grow as individuals and to encourage each other. And with that comes a vote of confidence that if you're doing what you're doing with integrity, somehow it's going to be contributing to solutions, even if it's not what I think is like, or I'm not even tuned into that station. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, humility and understanding that we live in a complex, multi-dimensional, infinite universe and that we're little beings making our way, but we're also not just little beings, we're expressions of divine consciousness at the same time. And each of us can be ex expressions in the way that God made us. So that's kind of what I'm after, is both a, a radical call to action, but not a specific call to action. Uh, but rather, what I want to support us each in this year is to listen carefully to each other, to hear about the station we're tuned to, and what we want to do. And, as I've often said, I personally want to be going on all pistons. You know, it's like as many levels as I can, so that I'm not just hyper-focused on one. But some of, so, okay, so um, I'll continue from there. But Susan, what did you want to say? Large numbers of people doing that, and then there's also 
large numbers of people doing chanting. Yes, it's Hindu chanting, but the guy who leads it, who's the most popular chant leader, is Krishna Das, who's a Jew from Long Island originally and was a, a rock singer when he right. when he started his life. And and there's, I mean, he goes in. They they have a whole church in the Upper West Side, New York, that has hundreds of people, fills up, that are all chanting. So I guess I'm just saying that it's quite a large movement now in different forms, whether it's the chanting or meditation or you know there's other things. Absolutely, you know? all over our culture now, the idea that there are subtle energies that we can't necessarily quantify or see but we can experience, and that these energies, it's valuable and important that we are uh, paying attention to them, has beco- is becoming more and more mainstream. That's right. But my point is, I don't even want us to either have to defend or that I do this or I do this. I want us to, so we don't even have to, this is not, this is our, no matter no matter what urgency any of us are feeling or what uh, prejudices or what passions, it's like for us to function as a community, we have to be able to just simply support each other to be the best that each of us can be. So in Judaism, in Lurianic mysticism and other, in Jewish mysticism, emerges an idea that's not unique to Jewish mysticism. I think it was, either it comes out of the general way that, our minds work or other, other systems, is the idea that there's not one world but four worlds. That there are four olamot. Um, and that these worlds coexist in the same time-space continuum at the same moment, even though we describe them as separate for this, because that's how our minds work. They actually coexist and they don't have they have specific names but they represent constellations of properties and i'm going to be very simplistic about this because uh uh, for the sake of i I hope clarity one world is called asiya asiya literally means doing doing, and is considered to be the physical universe, the world, or otherwise known as the world of action. So, a social justice take on tikkun olam fits in this world, because in our society, and in, we have privileged physical action and the physical universe as being more real than other levels of existence, that's where we assert ourselves in the, most, in the world we consider most real. Again, I want to point out that for the Luriana Kabbalists in the 16th century, this wasn't the most real level. They had, they had other fish to fry, right? Does that make them right or wrong? I'm not interested. I'm interested in actually seeing if we can incorporate all these levels into our awareness. Uh, and not say one is real and the others aren't. I mean, I'm fully aware in my own self that I'm totally committed to the world of action and doing. The second world is called Yitzira, 
which translate as formation, but is also understood as in the realm of water, whereas we're in the realm of earth, that's the realm of water flowing. And most important for our take on it, it's the world of feeling and emotion and relationships, right? The world of doing is a world where we're not relating with someone, we're relating to the world. That's what it means to do, right? In this world is the world of relating, of relationships, of emotional connections, of heart. <coughs> um, and uh, um, so you could call it the world of emotions. I like thinking of it as the world of relationships. I like that a lot. About sensing. Um, yes, yeah, I think so. Um, sensing. sensing. Um, then the next level is called Bria. Uh, Bria comes to the world from the word bara, like breshit, bara, creation. And for my purposes, the way I've come to understand it, it represents the world of concepts, ideas, intellectual activity, <coughs> uh, thoughts. Right? Another part of my world that I never want to give up. You know, oh, I cherish intellectual uh, um, work. I cherish emotional work. I cherish physical work. Right? And the fourth world is called the world of Atsilut, which usually gets translated as the world of emanation. Uh, but it says in Torah that God, I don't know how to translate it. Let's come up with some good words. Emanates onto Moses, the spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? The spirit of leadership. So Atzilut is the unseen realm of energy. It is the spiritual dimension. Transmits. It's hmm? pure awareness. Or? It's awareness. It's it's like if you're if you're practicing a, say a kind of sitting meditation, you become aware at some point. Wait, who is watching? Who am who am I? Who's watching these thoughts? And what is this awareness? That's what we sing. Who is this aliveness I am? When we sing on Saturday morning, I am alive. And who is this aliveness that I am? Is it not the Holy One? Mm. So, Atzilut is the impossible to um, hold on to, evanescent but always present world of our spiritual selves. The part of us that's not doing, that's not feeling, that's not thinking, and yet, we experience it. Does that make sense, everybody? Yeah. Non-dualistic. Uh, it's non-dualistic. Yeah. It doesn't, it, it's, it's, it, so. These worlds are given a, a hierarchy in mystical traditions <clears throat> because the, the world of emanation, the spiritual world of spiritual awareness, in, in Jewish understanding, informs everything else. Without it, none of the other levels can exist. And if you put that in human terms, without awareness, without consciousness that we are, what are we? 
are we still humans? Or have we been reduced to something less than human? Notice that level makes us human. And we ignore it at our peril. Because then we become beholden to grosser, grosser, when I use grosser, denser, more materialistic, more aspects of reality as our ultimate self. Does it make sense, everybody? The goals change. change. Right, the goals change. But if I'm a being of spirit, then I'm, we are, uh, what's the bumper sticker? We are spiritual beings having a human experience. What is it? Something like that. Not we're human beings having a spiritual experience, but we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Uh, I love that. I love that. I I like the way it messes up our minds. Um, So therefore, and those are called the four worlds. All those worlds, all those olam, all those olamot, all those realms of existence coexist within us. That's right. And so to be fully human, we need to be experiencing ourselves on all those levels. Har- harmoniously. Harmoniously? Wish me luck. <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily at the same time. Not, no, because we're not that good. I'd say well, someone, who's clo- someone who would, we would consider to be close to enlightened is able to carry it all with a smile on their face. Even that we're going to die. Even that, because the end, they're not ignoring any of it. Right? We know those people. They don't have to be famous. Right? They, those don't have to be famous big shots. We know those people who seem to be able to carry themselves with such grace through the world. And I want to use the word grace intentionally. Grace means that which is freely given and which we cannot earn. Right? When you carry yourself with grace, grace also implies there's something graceful about you. It's just the most beautiful word. It comes from the somewhere else, and we're, we're granted it. Okay, I've spun a lot of metaphors. Let's hear some more. Uh, Ellen and then Paul. Um, I just wanted to throw in an example. Um, in Kyoto, there is a moss farm of over a thousand different kinds of moss. Mm-hmm. And before you're allowed to enter it, you have to spend an hour in spiritual practice. You either meditate, or you chant, or you copy. So they don't let you enter the garden. Instead of buying a ticket, uh, which would be how we would make it into a tourist attraction, which is completely about experience, right? It's completely about, you know, being in the world of, of doing and action. Uh, and you, you buy an experience, right? That's how we do things in this way. you see it differently. You see the world differently. Your ticket is to meditate for an hour before they let you enter. They're trying to awaken you to that level of experiencing. That's beautiful. Paul? So I would say that um, I, defi- I would define a human being as possessing those four different worlds, so that any human being at all has those four worlds in operation. To me, it, it, part of, the, of this process of tikkun olam, which I would see more as kind of completing God's work of evolving, of kind of getting up to speed, is to become conscious of those four worlds in whatever way you can. And they can be in different kinds of balance. You may be more intellectual than you are physical, whatever it is, but all four have to be harmonious. And I think that the, the goal as a community, as an individual, is to, is to bring those things to the light of day, to, be, to wake up, to become conscious of those four worlds, 
and to bring them into balance. And lovely. Breath by breath. Lovely, lovely. So, tikkun olam, repairing the universe or completing or integrating, mm-hmm. uh, in that case would be integrating all four of those levels into our being. If you just meditate and don't integrate, then you're not really harmonizing the four worlds. Yeah. Uh, nice. And there's, there are many rabbinic sayings like that. If someone has a lot of good deeds but little wisdom, okay. If someone has a lot of wisdom but not too many good deeds, okay. But what's a righteous person? Someone who both has much wisdom and much good deeds. You know, it's like those are, those are comparable kinds of things. Good health, love, wisdom, and then becoming, cultivating a pure awareness based on that and integrating it into the world. So, uh, Esther. Yeah, there's a book out written a long time ago by a man named Daniel Goldman. Daniel yeah. Goldman, I remember him. Emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence, yeah. And so it seems to me that that's what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Yeah. Each of us yeah. is going to, each of us who's, search, who's reaching for this is going to reach for it through different metaphors, through different cultural language, through different, yeah. you know, the language of social science or the language of religion, spirituality, or, yeah, or even physics. Um, Susan and uh, Carol and then Blaze. Well, in astrology, uh, there's a, the big emphasis is on uh, the elements. And, uh, you know, there's earth, fire, water, and air. And right, the four worlds each correspond to the four elements yeah. uh, also. And it, you mentioned as you went through each one, you said earth, one was more earthy, the second was more water, the third was more air, and the fourth And the emanation is considered fire. And, mm-hmm. and That's right. You know, and some people are actually lacking an element, and supposedly that's an area that one has to sort of work towards, you know, like somehow getting more of that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but we all have an emphasis that's, you know, let's say greater in one area than another area. I'm just saying according to astrology. That's right. Well, astrology is another effort to map this inner universe yes, of ours. Exactly. Uh, Blaze? I just wanted to say how difficult it is to do this. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I only realize that I didn't do it when I realized that I didn't do it. Um, you know, the other night I was out somewhere and I said something to somebody. And after I said that, I went, oh, I, that was not a good thing to say. Why, why did I do that? And I realized that it was like an unconscious behavior. So the mistakes or the, you know, the missteps I make give me more of an education as to my state of consciousness at any particular time, which is not always what I would like it to be. Right. So we are, this is, it's very demanding being a conscious human being. Right? It's demanding. It's hard. <laughs> but ultimately, it's a lot easier being conscious than being unconscious. Um, I'm not even making Paul. I'm not even making that. I'm not making that judgment at all. Uh, I'm thinking about each of us as individuals. Mm-hmm. It's hard, um, and um, uh, that if it wasn't hard, we wouldn't have a whole season of the year in Judaism set aside to remind to remembering. 
what we want to remember about being human this time of year. If it wasn't hard, we wouldn't have to do, we wouldn't be doing this, but this is the way it is. Uh, and there's lots of good stories. Judaism has its own stories about why it's this way, um, why it isn't easier, you know what, but be that as it may, I like that there's a, a, a rhythm of the year in Judaism that sets us up to look, look at all this, think about it, and plan it to start over again each new year. I love that. Carol? What it's reminding me of right now is the, the Yom Kippur litur liturgy where um, you, you agree to pray with people, people who did one thing and then the people right. who did the other thing, and that the, that that we are provided with um, not only a sense that everybody makes their own mistakes, but that comes... Excuse me, is that a wasp? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go somewhere else, wasp. <laughs> no, who knows? Or may help. It probably won't bother any of us. Okay, all right. Um, go on, Carol. Um, not only... Um, do we acknowledge that we all make our own mistakes, but we have an opportunity in coming together to let go and to experience what other people do and just the, the whole essence of community being one really wonderful way of examining all that. I want to quote that in Hebrew. Uh, what she's remembering is when before we say kol nidre, we say b'yeshiva shel mala v'yeshiva shel mata, which means in the supernal academy and in the here in this academy that we are in together here, uh, right? So first of all, the language acknowledges both levels al daat hamakom v'al daat hakahal, with the full awareness of hamakom, which is God, but the you word hamakom means the 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 place the 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 substrate of our existence where we are valdat hakaha and with the conscious awareness of all of us gathered here anu matirin lehit parallel im ha'avaryanim we give each other permission to pray with with transgressors meaning oh everybody. Right? So we're about to say Kol Nidre and we're getting ready for this day of judgment and we acknowledge, I love that passage too. Um, so um, that's really deep, isn't it? But when we do the Alphid, yeah. we're acknowledging that we are the same. Yeah, yeah. same thing. But I just like that paragraph that Carol was, was uh, citing because it's, it's not, it's saying with con with with awareness from the highest and from within each of us, we're doing this. Was, was there another hand that I... Yes, yes Esther. I, I have experienced that very recently. Uh, when I spent a week with my son and my daughter-in-law's family, and we were all in states of grief and bereavement, that there was a fluidity that I felt of going from one plane to another. And I had no name for it, but I experienced it within me. And uh, it was very, I didn't experience it when Herb died, but I did this time. And it How was interesting. very profound. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because death is often a time mm -hmm. when the categories get shuffled. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
and we are like we're swimming in all of it because we can't keep on the straight on path that we usually keep on to get you know with our calendar and our day and our yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's a holy time it is. it's because it because it says it it's time out of out of our ordinary time yeah yeah we get jolted into that yeah. I agree I agree and I'm just thinking <clears throat> about you know remember so I just want to say again any pronouncements we make in this in this community that says that uh, somebody's chosen path of at this moment of where they're focusing their energies like it is somehow less good or valuable than what someone else is doing um, isn't going to help. <laughs> it may make you feel like you're right. Thank God I'm on the right team. Oh my God. Because it's such a mess. The world's such a mess. And it, we surely want to know that we're t- doing something useful. You know? But in this category, we also have to practice this extreme form of humility uh, uh, so that we can support each other. Assuming the collective and individual goodwill of everyone yeah. in the space, right? Uh, Susan? Uh, well, I was just was thinking in response to what Blaise said that, you know, if we, if we think afterwards that about what we said and at least acknowledge to ourselves that maybe we could have said something better or more helpful or kinder, that's already uh, a big step in the, on the right path some of our leaders, not mentioning any names, uh, never acknowledge any kind of error or mistake. You know? <clears throat> so to just even to be able to acknowledge to oneself, I think is already a, you know, an important step in the right direction. Because I mean, we all make mistakes. We well, and what is that step called in Hebrew when you think you have um, uh, missed the mark? Missed it's that well that's great but what's what's it called this evaluative process it's called which means self-evaluation and then you enact what you need to do by doing teshuva right that's what we do we're in a constant cycle of acting evaluating and then trying to repair repent improve right that's what you do if you are a conscientious human being a person of conscience a person you know um, and I can't speak for the people who don't have conscience, mm-hmm. right? They exist. They're in the world. They often make it up to very high office all over the world because they don't care about the results of their actions. That precisely gives them a, a leg up on, on accumulating power. This is not unique to our moment. It's what's happened all over the world. It's part of the human condition. So those that's the Jewish terminology mm-hmm. that I wanted to share with you that we can each take and use in our lives and the way I was thinking of using it was um, I just thought of this I'd like to I'd like to for the purposes of clarity for each of us separate out the four worlds 
and think about them one at a time uh, as an experiment. Not to the exclude, none of them can exclude each other. This is an exercise in focusing our attention, not on privileging one level over the other. I'm going to repeat that over and over again because it, uh, you know it's so important. But what if we started today? Instead of starting in the realm of, of asiya, of doing, of action, what if we started today in the realm of atzilut, in the realm of spiritual awareness, in the realm of practicing awareness? Um, and what if we, in uh, small groups, spent a few minutes each, each person needs just a couple of minutes, talking and reflecting about how they want to grow in awareness this coming year. What awareness you want to practice. And some of us want to, might want to be practicing growing in a, uh, holding the awareness of mortality <coughs> more with us. Others might want to practice holding the awareness of infinite love. Some of us might simply want to practice a um, the awareness, practicing watching ourselves, practicing the observer, right? There's so many levels on which, and it's very hard to verbalize because when we talk about awareness, we are only in the realm of metaphor, right? There's, there's, there's just, there's, <laughs> you are using language to try to describe something that, that exceeds our language. That's why the name of God is like that. Um, and so what I want to invite us to do, and if it's your habit to write things down, you can write things down, you can talk, is we're actually, before we, uh, we're, I think we'll get into um, uh, groups of three. Uh, and if there's a group of two or a group of four, but a group of three is good. If, there, if we're mostly groups of three, that allows us to take about the same amount of time together. And, uh, and we're going to start, before we talk, with a little meditation. Um, so I'd love for you to assign yourself to a group of three. Know that whoever you chose is exactly the right person for this. <laughs> yeah. Four worlds? Yes. Asiya. I'll bring in a... Um, uh, uh, Diane, I'll, I'll, for the next... Cl I just thought of this before class, so yeah. I didn't have time to get anything. But you but, just now said... Yeah. In the small groups, we're going to consider these four. But we're only doing one, right, one at a time. Okay, good. Right, right. And we'll come back next week and consider another one. And so this is the first one. Which this is, is just the, the first one. The world of awareness. Of spiritual awareness, awareness, uh, however you want to define it, it's the place from which it all comes from that is evanescent, and yet, if we didn't have it, we wouldn't be us, mm. right? Soul. Uh, I've said this before, I don't know where I read this quote. We don't know exactly what soul <clears throat> is, but we know when we've lost ours. Right. Mm. <laughs> I want to repeat that. We don't know exactly what our soul is, 
But we know when we or someone has lost their soul. And we don't want to, it, that's why it's so central. And in the kid, in, in Vishamru, in the Shabbat Kiddush over lunch, we say, Uvayom Hashvi'i Shabbat Vayinafash, on the seventh day, God rested and God's soul was restored. That's what Yinafash means. Um, uh, Shabbat, if we just want to again use the, the primary Jewish metaphors, we spend six days in the world of doing. doing. And on the seventh day, we re- try to restore our awareness. Otherwise, we become either automatons or slaves of the material. So there's awareness, doing, and what are the others? The others are, the, so doing is, a, is considered to be the first world, but it could be the fourth world. You know, it's a blah, blah, blah. It's a, uh, the second world is called Yitzira, which I call the world, which means literally formation, but it's about relationships, it's about water, it's about emotions, it's about the world of emotions and relationships, it's about relating. In the world of doing, we're not, it, the world of doing by itself is a world of acting upon. If, well, if it's not just physical. Yeah. It's when you, it's, it's what, Martin Buber wrote his book, I Thou. And he had two, he said, when you're relating to something as an I, it, you're acting upon it. But when you're relating it to an I, thou, you're acting in relationship to it. And so the goal is obviously, again, to have all these levels present at once. Because, so anyway, so that's the world of relationship, of emotion. The third one is called Bria, and it's, its, uh, its element is air, and it is the world of concept, intellect, thought. It's that whole beautiful world of our, ment- of, our, of our thinking life, of our ability to look at, assess, hypothesize, test, you know, to, have co- to conceptualize, to have ahas, to, uh, that's, that's what I consider that world. And... Um, then the world of Atzilut, which is the world out of which it all emanates. The, um, uh, and it's like we, the, God breathes the breath of life into us and we become living souls in Genesis. And then and when Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy, God draws the breath of life from Moses. And Moses died. And that's different than awareness. That is awareness. I'm that's saying awareness. Okay. awareness. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Can you spell those? Um, I'll give you a paper next week. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll write all this out. I just, like I said, I, I was in my own roller coaster. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I, but I had a nice car drive back from traffic court this morning where I was thinking about what we were going to do. <laughs> <laughs> what did they get you? I pay, I'll tell you what they got me for. I'll tell it to the record. I got off the Taconic coming back from visiting my family a few weeks ago, and a car pulls off the exit ramp in front of me, and I'm on 199. It's going faster and faster, and so I'm just going faster and faster. And then it puts its lights on. Because I was speeding, because I was following it. That's okay, I got it reduced to... That's the game, it's all right. I got it, re- I got it reduced to a parking ticket. $50 special. Anyway, 
Anyway, I'm supporting the. I'm supporting the town of Milan. It's fine. Okay. Anyway. You said we were going to start with Absolut. Are we to be thinking about all four worlds? I trust. I trust you. See, uh, this is tricky because you can't do this wrong, everybody. If someone in your group mind the thoughts, go to something that they're passionately attached to, just let them go there. This is just a way to try to get us to keep as broad an awareness of what repairing the world means. Okay? In other words, think, it's beautiful to think about it. If I'm in a state, a Shabbos, a good Shabbos state, where I feel like my soul has been restored, and I'm relating to everybody that way, that may be as important to repairing the world as any action I can take. Do you follow what I'm saying? What, what, would you repeat that? Okay, if I'm, in a, if I'm in an expanded and generous and loving state of mind, because I'm in touch with the infinite sort of source of grace that fills my life at every moment, which is the truth. Right? That's a level of truth. Even amongst my suffering, <clears throat> that's always true. If I can walk around the world that way, <clears throat> I may be doing as much to repair the world as if I am doing some very specific action. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. That's why I'm not that concerned about where you go with this. My interest in how I'm structuring this is that you remain aware of the breadth of possibilities and that you don't, we don't lapse into our... Yeah. Our weak... Not neurotic. No, 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 no. That's not the categories I'm talking about our weekday consciousness of just doing. There are so many levels in which our being, our thoughts, our relationship actions, and our doing are repairing the world in some way or other. Uh, Because the world is an infinite affair. And so part of being a synagogue and not a political action committee and not, is that I want us to be expanding ourselves and generously allowing others to also be considering their lives, this Elul, on all of those levels. That makes sense, right? It doesn't exclude any possibility. It just expands the possibilities without us feeling like, oh, I guess I'm not, gosh, I'm not doing enough in the world, or I'm not this, or I'm not that, or I'm not this. No. Let's consider it all and see where our mind hearts go for ourselves. Uh, that's my goal. And part of the beauty of our congregation is we have people who's, who, just like uh, Susan was saying in the astrological chart, everybody's got a different makeup. Everyone's got a different uh, focus. Everyone's got different, and that's good. And we can all practice affirming that and seeing, you know, because who knows if, who knows? That's what I have to say. Who knows? Kinds. Who knows? It takes all kinds. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful teaching on Sukkot uh, of the Lulav and Etrog, one of my favorite teachings. So the Etrog is the citron, the little, the beautiful lemon relative, and the, and the Lulav is the palm, and the myrtle, and the willow. And um, uh, some rabbi long ago said that the... Um, the, let's see, the 
the etrog is like the people who have, uh, has fragrance and you can eat it. And it's like the people who are filled with wisdom and good deeds. And the lulav, you can eat the hearts of palm, but it has no fragrance. And that's like the people who are filled with good deeds. And the myrtle smells beautiful, but you can't eat it. And that's like the people who are filled with wisdom. And the willow, you can't eat it, and it doesn't, and doesn't have any fragrance. And that's the people who don't have a lot of good deeds or a lot of wisdom. And it only works if you hold it all, all together. You don't write anybody off. You don't write anybody off. I love that teaching. It's like Rav Nachman, there's another one, Rav Nachman of Bratislav, uh, and I, I have to find this quote because it's from many years ago. It said, nine tzaddikim, what a tzaddik is a totally righteous person, don't make a minion. But that shlemiel over there, bring him in because you need the minion. Right? It's a beautiful one, isn't it? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Do you want to add something, Paul? Whereas in the past, if a person became more devoted to God, where all that he or she would want to do is, is things that would bring him or her closer to God. So today, there is a similar, or there's a sense of urgency in our actions. So, so I think as we embrace these four worlds, is to, uh, to see what is that sense of urgency as we are experiencing it today, as we, in a way that we're integrating that's right. And urgency is a very uh, dangerous yeah. uh, quality because yeah. it can launch us into ill-considered or unconsidered actions. We want to be careful despite the pressures of the moment. Um, uh, so, so would you all, as I said, it just find two other people? And I don't know for exactly that number. Three, six, seven, 12, 15, 18, 21. We're 25 people. So we can have two pairs and the rest be trios. Yeah, yeah, but I want you to know who you're, I want you to hang with your group while you do this. Who's a three? Here's a three. You'll be, you be a pair. I'm two. Huh? You have two? Uh, hold on, I'm just going to count how many we are. Three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18, 21, 24. We're 25. So, we're 25. So that's. Let's make one, let's make one group of four. Oh, do you need a bathroom break? Sip of water. That'll work out. Take take uh, take three minutes.